Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. One thing that I noticed when looking at this parsha, it's parshat shlach lecha, which some people say is parshat shlach, some people say, isn't it shlach lecha? Sure, it's the one that comes after baha lecha. Um, and this is, what? Easy for me to say, yeah. I made, I made fun of, lovingly, the uh, B'nai Mitzvah boys today because they could not say baha lecha. And so <laughs> I had to kind of get them, get them to put They read their Torah beautifully, but it is a very hard parsha to say. Um, um, anyway, so shlach is a little bit easier. But there are two things that happen in this parsha that are probably known to you, but I had never put them together as potentially playing one into the other. So what's the first thing that happens in this parsha that people know about? Sending okay, the spies. Yeah, sending the spies. Right, and what's the second thing? Okay, if you don't know. <laughs> Tzitzit. It's where we get tzitzit. Oh, yes. um, and so this idea of the spies being sent in to see the land and then wearing garments that are supposed to be reminders visually for us of mitzvot was a very interesting connection. So we're going to make that connection even more today. And hopefully, um, hopefully that is an interesting, oh, well, I got, I got one fan. Um, oh, you, ha- you have two fans. Two fans, this wow. This is one of my favorite things. I'll keep 15, my mouth shut. Two fans. I came across the I definitely don't have enough copies because I didn't expect this many people. So thank you all for being here. And oh, there's an extra one. Okay. Um, does that mean you want? I not get one. Or you get one? You guys can go. I read ahead and ruin your presentation. Do you want this? Do you want it? Yeah. I, I, I learned, yeah, sure. with, you, you I learned this with Rabbi Rembach oh, years ago, and I will keep my mouth shut. No, you can. I mean, no, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that he and I will say similar and also different things, so it's probably fine. Um, so, so AJ was just commenting on the fact that I wrote the Taste of Tar this past week. Uh, also, I'm the only uh, TBA <laughs> rabbi in LA right now. So, so anything that you received this past week on Jewish Shabbat probably came from me. So I'm I'm sorry. Um, but I wrote the Taste of Torah, and um, it was there was a there was a um, story that I used in that Taste of Tor- Torah about a blind man who lights the lamps um, for the for the town and this idea that there is some kind of um, beauty and not necessarily using that light for yourself but allowing others to be able to see so AJ was just saying there's there's a nice uh, connection there which I had not thought about but the the reason that that story is brought up is because uh, in this past week's partial which we read this morning, uh, the idea of the menorah and what is the menorah doing at the front of uh, the tabernacle. 
So, okay, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to read uh, all the different sources that folks are calling on people to read so that we can make sure that, um, that people on Zoom can hear. But we're in Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. And I'm going to go until uh, verse 21. So it says here, and I'm going to read some in Hebrew, some in English. If you have the sheet in front of you, you'll see that I, um, that I made sure to print these in color because I wanted you to see that there were words that are repeated in these two different narratives, right? One having to do with the spies and the other one having to do with tzitzit and different verbs are going to be used for seen uh, in both places that are that are mirrored. Okay, so in Bamibar Yod Gemal says, Moshe. So Moshe sent them out, Latur et Eretz Canaan. So, by the way, the word Latour means to tour, <laughs> literally. Um, it doesn't actually mean to scout, which is what the word is that we use uh, in colloquially when we're translating and the word that you see here from Safaria. But it actually means to tour. It's like the easiest word to, to learn in Hebrew because it means the same thing in English. Um, so they were just supposed to tour the land. Now, if you've toured any land, right, if you've gone to, I don't know, Italy, and you've toured Italy, you're not necessarily there to scout out the land, right? You're not there to spy on anything. You're, you're there to enjoy and to experience. And that's really what these, what we call then scouts later on, were there to do. They were just there to experience the land to tour the land. Vayomer alehem aluze banegev alitem etahar. Go up there into the negev. Sorry, there's a typo. And on into the hill country, and uritem etaharetz mahi. And you're gonna see what is this land. Right? What what is it? What are you seeing there? So reitem is you you will see right and and what that is getting at is less of this touring aspect and now more of the scouting aspect so there's there's a reason for you to see not just to experience but now there's actually something to see a reason for the scene now i'm just going to go straight into the english because the um the the words that i want to point out are 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 done <laughs> for for this uh, piece of text uh, are the people who dwell in it strong or weak, few or many, right? You have tasks when you go into this land and you're going to see what's there. What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Is the country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? Is the soil rich or poor? Meaning good to plant in or not. Poor is probably not the right English word there. Is it wooded or not? And take pains to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So. Make sure to look around, see what you can see, who are the people, what do they have there. If we were to come in, which is what this is all getting at, what would be good for us, what would be difficult for us, and make sure that, you know, it might take a little bit of work, but make sure that you bring back some fruit. Now, it happened to be the season of the first ripe grapes. They went up and they scouted the land from the wilderness of Tzim to Rehov at Levo Hamat. Okay. So what, what is actually happening here? What are these tourists, what are these scouts doing in this land? Oh, there's yeah. no question. Yeah, that is a question. <laughs> they're looking how they're going to conquer it. They're okay. trying to figure out why you're going to ask if the city fortified or not. Okay, great. So one of the questions in here is very clear that there is an agenda to potentially conquer the land at some point, right? 
So the idea of is it fortified or is it free, right? Is it swampland or is it uh, or is it built up? What else is happening? Yeah. I guess they're just surveying the land to see what they can do with it. Yeah, they're surveying the land to, uh, to again, right, have this agenda of what could we do with this land. What does this remind you of? It's not a trick question. There's a lot of things this could remind you of. <laughs> I mean, is it immediately thought of Thomas Jefferson sending out people to, to, to literally try to get to the Pacific? Great, so Thomas Jefferson sending out people to get to the Pacific, or figure out a way to get to the Pacific? Others? Buying property investing. Okay, great, great. A, a modern day example, buying property or investing in property and scouting out right that property to see if it's good to invest in. What else? <laughs> it seems like the logistics of the land is livable. If the land is a right, but what does that remind you of, right? The land being livable. What what else in our history can you think of where we've done this? State of Israel. Great. The state of Israel, right? It's, that is obviously a part of our history that is told in many different ways as to how that scouting, how that touring happened. But yes, there was definitely a time in which people went into the land that we now call Israel and figured out what were the places that we could then come to and make our homeland. Columbus, anybody? Um, right, just like the general idea. None of these are wonderful stories. Right? I'm not trying to say that like we should be so proud that we also did this back in our day in certain areas. But this is what people had to do when they were thinking back to obviously not um, 100% historically, but when we were kids watching the movie Pocahontas, right? And you see how they show up on the shores and, and they're all looking around to see what that land looks like and is there gold and is there not gold? Obviously not, as I mentioned before, not historically accurate to the, to the actual story, just a Disney rendition. But it, that is, when you read through this, that you can imagine them like coming up in their boats and being all you know strong and whatnot and and showing up to see what that land's going to look like so they can then take it over. It's just yeah. The point of reference. Yeah. Almost none of us were kids when Pocahontas came out. I was a kid. <laughs> 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 I wasn't playing how young I was, but I was a child. You all watched it with your children. Okay. Um, thank you. That was, that was a very important point of reference. I thought you were probably something like historic about Pocahontas. Okay. So, I didn't understand the connection between, you were talking about Columbus and then you said Pocahontas and I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, I'm just saying that when you think, when you think about stories that have been told about land being conquered or, or people coming to land. You weren't thinking simultaneously. No, 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 no. I'll just give you another example. Yeah, thank you. I'm not that confused about my history. The real question is, why did Moses send people to do anything when God would provide and then as a good organizer knows you never ask the question unless you know the answer so it's like anything else you know but but I'm just like throwing well, that out just for food for well hold, so hold on one second let me just let me just repeat it so people can hear so urban mentioning you know first of all the 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 I guess meta question to ask is why did we have to do this in the first place if God already knows right if God can already see in God already knows why send Moshe and then these, these tourists into the land to be able to do this 
for Moshe, for God, if the answer is already there? And why ask the question if you already know the answer? Alan, then. Well, it's one of the reasons it's the, this question has been asked before, and the rabbis say, well, that's why it says, shlach lecha. Take for yourself. Right, right. Well, send for yourself. Yeah. Send for yourself. Yeah. Send for yourself. In other words, yes, but if you feel more comfortable sending out the spies or sending out people to check it out, because hate, go ahead and do it. But it's not, because otherwise you could just say, shlach, if it was a commandment directly from God that you had to do it, what, what is lacha doing there? So this is like God. According to one, uh, according right. To so what? So what? Alan's pointing out is that it's the the idea. We actually don't read. I didn't bring this verse for us to read, but this idea of shlach lecha, similar to lech lecha, right, is that you're doing it for yourself. You're not actually doing it for God, even if God is kind of the impetus behind doing the sending. You're doing it. Moshe, in this case, is doing it for Moshe's up dinner. I was just going to say you need the people's buy-in. Right. The people on the ground are the ones who are going to be doing the conquering, doing the settling, doing whatever, you need their buy-in, and right. this is how you get their buy-in. Well, that was the thought. The hope. Right, right. <laughs> right, so the hope would be that we would get the people's buy-in to really, on both sides, right, actually, the people's buy-in who were doing the touring, and then potentially even the people's, maybe it's not called buy-in on that side of things, but understanding of what might be coming towards them and how it could be either beneficial or at least not completely catastrophic but for these scouts to know that they're part of the process right when we're when we're teaching a class we like our students to get to the same idea that we had for the lesson plan because if they feel ownership over it then there's a better chance that they're going to get to it Whereas if we just say, this is what you're going to do, there's a better chance that they're not going to end up doing what we expect them to. Do you want to I was going to say, and the, and yeah. the people, not the people right. when they come back, the whole Amnistral. Great, great. So the whole, the whole nation, when they return, to feel like they had, even if they were not the exact ones, that they had some, uh, some of their feelers, so to speak, in the process. Some agency, exactly. That's a great word for this. That didn't really happen. It, didn't, it does not really happen, but that's a spoiler alert. Okay, so so now we're going to skip a few chapters ahead, and we're gonna, so that's one story. We're not getting into the depths of that story, but just so that you can kind of see the beginnings of that story, because that's where these words are first used. So Latour and Ure'item are the two words that we're going to be focusing on when we get to this next passage, which is all about tzitzit, and when I start to read it, you're going to know exactly the passage that I'm referring to because we say it three times a day. Okay. So God says to Moshe to say to the people, speak to B'nai Israel, and you should say to them, put on tzitzit, or really make for them tzitzit. Make for themselves, right? They, they should make for themselves tzitzit. Now, just... Um, uh, a fun question. I can't think of what the term is called. Um, what what are tzitzit? Fringes. Uh huh. But what are tzitzit? Great. And then not in a particular way. Okay, so they're not the talis, right? The talis. Do I have a, a visual here? No. The talis is like is a is a. It's okay. By the time you get it out, I'll be done with the sentence. Um, <laughs> the talis is the garment itself. The tzitzit are the actual mitzvah, right? Think back in the day to garments that were worn. Most people were wearing tunics, 
And so most people had four cornered garments. There was not this need to create a talus. You just put tzitzit on your garments. So when they said, make for yourself tzitzit, it wasn't like, oh, let me go get some fabric, let me get an atara, let me put this whole thing together. It was just, let me tie tzitzit on my garment. And that's gonna be this reminder for me to vote. So, um, I just gave that away, on the, cor- on the corners of your garments, of your clothes, literally. Okay, this is just telling you what and colors, etc. Et uritem oto. So, if you've ever heard Josh Roshowski talk about how he wears tzitzit, he wears a talit katan underneath his shirt, and he only has one little string that sticks out. Now you'll all notice that when you see Josh next. Um, but it's because it says uritem oto. It doesn't say otam. It says you're only going to see one of them. He can talk to you more about that. But this, the reason I have it highlighted here is because the scouts were told to uritem also. Right? They were told to see the land, to see what was there, who were the people, what was going on, etc., etc. When we are talking about tzitzit being on our garments, you're supposed to have the tzitzit to see them, to see it, literally. Okay? So you're going to remember all of the mitzvot that God made for you. The lo taturu. Okay, what does lo tatturu mean in this particular case? There's a lo before it, so do not. Don't follow your heart. Okay, maybe follow. Remember the tour before meant to tour. Okay, so the lo tatturu, don't scout out, right? Don't. Don't do anything that's going to like go deeply, basically. So it's it's interesting because in the English here it says so that you do not follow your heart and eyes and your lustful urge. Right? It's taking something that could be really beautiful, right, and seeing the tzitzit, and it's saying I don't want you to follow urges that you might have. So when you see these tzitzit, hopefully it'll negate that and you'll go towards the mitzvot and not the bad things you could possibly do. It's like a double negative in the most confusing of ways, right? Not written that way, but just conceptually. When you see the tzitzit, you're not supposed to follow the things that you might have thought about if you weren't wearing the tzitzit. Everybody with me? So the way that scouting or touring is being used here is that it's something you should not want to do and that the tzitzit should be a reminder not to do it. And yet when we have the scouting beforehand, it's supposed to be this thing that was really beautiful, at least for us to acquire land in such a way that we would know what we were coming into. So the word is being used in very opposite ways, but for the same kind of action. Any thoughts on that? Does everybody recognize this passage? I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What does zonim yeah. mean, the word itself? Zonim. 
I mean, in like a zona is like, yeah, so that's onions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So something that would be, I mean, they're saying lustful here, but something I that was going to say, this is terrible translation. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're looking literal. Well, it's just making it make more sense in English. If you read it in the Hebrew, like, you would have to add in. I had a thought to throw out. Yeah. Um, why he had, why God asked them to do that at this point, and that would be that he forecasted that they would see the giants and seal that, but they would have something to remind them that God's going to take care of them. Hmm, that's nice. So maybe to to take the, to make sure that they weren't going to go against these urges that they might have that would go against the means that they were given. That's interesting. Yes, I did. Sorry. Okay. It's rare that I see something that I read all the time and yeah, yeah, that's why I thought this was so interesting too. <laughs> so the whole pointed seat seat, according to what we read every day, yeah, is to not have wanton sex, to not have with people that we shouldn't be having. Well, I, I don't, I know, I think that zonim is now used that way, but I think it really just means to not go against the mitzvot that you should remember by seeing the tzitzit. So, so if you read a for example, this is just, well, that's why I don't love the fact that they use the word lustful, but yes, I mean, the, what, right, because going after your heart and your eyes could be a good thing also. Right, that's what I was, yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Well, and that's what they they were being told to do in the land, right? right? So I think what when we read, <laughs> when we read the third paragraph of the Shema on a daily basis and we read this, what we're thinking about is we should see the tzitzit that we wear, whether all the time or while we're praying, and we should be able to think about the fact that there are mitzvot that we should hold on to all the time during the day, no matter if we're if we're really focused on them or not, by looking down and saying like, oh, I should really, I should behave differently. Now, I hope that that worked, right? There are, there are many people that wear tzitzit who, who, who still do things that we wouldn't want them to do, and there are many people who don't wear tzitzit who do wonderful things in the world. So it's clearly not a foolproof method, but but the idea the idea here when when looking at it in the text itself i think it is getting at this like you could be drawn to do things that you should not want to do or definitely shouldn't do according to my means vote that you should put a stop this is correct correct but in the daily practice of reading this i think it's more so just you should be reminded that there are armies that you should be following and these are the signs that you should have to be that visual reminder. I, just, I, never, I guess I read it all the time. I read yeah. it how specific it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Alan. There's another reason to wear tzitzit other than to make sure you don't have lustful thoughts. No, not lustful thoughts. You're, it's or lustful actions, but then you from doing wrong things. That's what I find so interesting. It's assuming the, you're going to have lustful thoughts, right, and it's saying, right. have lustful thoughts, that's fine. This is a reminder of when to follow those thoughts and when not to. Yeah, right. But the, one of the primary reasons to wear tzitzit, at least in the rabbinic mind, is certainly going to be to zecher litziat mitzvah. And it's for that reason, for example, that you know there was a discussion. We talk about it on Pesach. Why is it that we say this paragraph at night? Because if it's a tzitzit that we wear during the day, if that's the main focus, then there's no reason. This is Ben Zoma in there about what was going on. And there's no reason to be able to say that third paragraph of the Shema at night. 
if that's the primary focus. But because the focus is Yitziat Yitzrayim, which happens, you know, you remember it, you know, day and night, call your Hayacha, the days and the nights. I've never heard that Tzitzit are connected to Yetziat Mitzrayim. They're, they're, but it's really? possible that it's connected to, like, that there's a midrash about that. It's very possible. But I think that, I think the general understanding of Tzitzit is that it's connected to all Mitzvah, of which that is definitely one of them, to remember Yetziat Mitzrayim. And so it's possible that, and that, that was kind of the point that I was making to Sandra, that there's, there's, definite reason to connect this to those lustful urges, especially when we're reading in opposite the spies and where we kind of are in our narrative of the Torah, but also to just on a daily basis to be able to recognize things like Yetzihat Mitzrayim and all these other mitzvot that we wouldn't necessarily remember walking down the street to go to Glotmark, but then if you see Tzitzi, right, you, you, um, although going through Glotmark, you might say about Yetzihat Mitzrayim a little bit, um, but just this idea, this idea of, of the mitzvot that you should hold on to, to be able to, uh, to do well in the world. Okay, I just want to, I said that I didn't have enough material, and then I said that I was going to rush through, and here we are. So I just want to read two more things that we have on this sheet. I'm glad this was was interesting uh, for everybody. So Rashi at the bottom of the page, I'm just going to read through it, and then I would love to hear your thoughts. The verb taturu has the same meaning in Numbers 13.25, which I, I just brought in er, the earlier um, use of it, but it's the same idea. Um, it's the same spies story. Uh, the heart and the eyes are the spies of the body. They act as its agents for sinning. The eyes see, the heart covets, and the body commits the sin. So this is getting back to what Sandra's saying, is that when you read these two stories together, it's easy to connect these two moments, one being a passage we know very well and one being a story that we know pretty well, that this idea of scouting could be that we are making sure not to do that scouting all the time and that we should have these visual reminders that it's very easy and very possible for us because we're human beings to and and really just animals in general right to do to do that but to be able to hold ourselves to mitzvot which of course we can list tons of mitzvot that go against having those kinds of thoughts and urges and as Sandra was saying like, it's not bad to have them it's just there there needs to be a a time and a place and a reason and a person and all those kinds of things to act on them right but there's there's no problem with them just like there's no problem touring a land but there might be if you're going to come and conquer it right there might be reason behind um your actions that needs to be kind of tamed. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I told you I'd raise my hand. That's great. Um, yeah. So my tour to go out and tour to go out looking for it. Yeah. To go out literally to go out looking for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's perhaps even a better chance. Totally. And I think in that case, it's a great thing for the scouts, right? I mean, not. Not so great for the people who were scouting, I guess. But for us, on this side of things, it was great that we went into a land to scout it out because we knew what we were up against. But right, the way that Rashi is explaining it is that there is something about a human being doing that kind of scouting that doesn't feel like the right way to go about Right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Are they asking, is God asking them to act logically because, or just... Who's the they? God, or is, uh, oh, no shit. Uh, sorry, I'm scouts. just not getting all the pronouns. The scouts. Are the scouts the being scouts. asked to act logically, or are they just act not to act on their heart and emotions? 
Yeah, because, right, yes, it's a really good question. Them explicitly to say, act logically, act something that makes sense, it's just don't act on your emotions or. Right, so these are two very different passages and, and um, moments in this Parsha, but yeah, in the Scout story, everything is very logical, right? Because it's all for this moment of then being able to take over the land and know what's in it. When we get to the passage that's later on in chapter 15, when we get to this idea of Warren and Tzitzit, it has less to do with logic and more to do with emotions. Okay. So it's two, it's using the same words, but in two very different ways. Yeah. I think the different context that I see it in. Yeah. These are slaves. They gotta conquer anything. The CT gives them the idea of reminding them that God promised that you're gonna have this land mm. there. That's what the purpose of it is. Not so maybe because they still have a bunch of spies going on tours, they're gonna go molest the people who commit crimes in the area. They're just there to observe because they probably didn't think they would ever do it. Moshe's screwed up and said, go see it, instead of letting a bunch of spies mm -hmm. take fortified cities that never fought anything without God's help. Mm. And they weren't ready, and they, and they died out till the next generation comes. So, so that's my whole my whole thesis. Yeah, right it's here. possible that because they have that slave mentality, they need more reminders and exactly. more... And more um, <laughs> like bumpers in a in a bowling alley to keep themselves doing doing what they need to be doing as now members of a people who have rules and laws and meets vote as we would call it. I speak yeah. to Moshe every week. <laughs> you know, he, that's, I mean, that's what it is. Okay, I want to read one more. I want to read one more. I don't speak to. I Wait, hold on. I'm just gonna. I want to read one more passage, um, and then, and then, if there are a, a few more comments, we can take them before we finish. So the last, last, last passage on the second side. Um, if you want to read the Sefer Chinu, you're more than welcome to. But I'm going to read this uh, modern piece from 2006. Well, 2006 has come up a lot today. Um, so. 2006 by Alan Cook, and he says, in my face. Okay. It seems that this Sidra is all about seeing what we choose to see and what we ignore. Kaleb and Yehoshua, we didn't talk about them, but they come after this, um, or as part of really this scout's story, saw the beauty of the land. The remaining spies could see only obstacles that stood in the way of the Israelites taking possession of the land. And the Israelites themselves, who heard the spies' reports, were blinded by their fear of the unknown. Rather than being open to the opportunities that would be afforded to them as they enjoyed freedom in a land that had been promised to their ancestors. So similar to what our was saying. By contrast, the tzitzit require us to have our, our eyes open to appreciate them. And in so doing, we are reminded of God's mitzvot and of the kindness that God showed to us in redeeming us from Egypt. There you go, Alan. We can go through our lives with blinders before our eyes, refusing to bear witness to God's graciousness towards us. Or we can open eyes that have previously been blind and proclaim, Ashrein, that's never happened to me before, that's very funny. Ashreinu, how greatly have we been blessed. So that's bringing together these two different pieces here in a, in a kind of a, a modern take, a modern read on this. And it's nice that it brought, brought in your, um, your commentaries as well. You have this idea that we need to not only have reminders that there are good things coming to us or things that we could avail ourselves of if we were able to see everything, but that there are also things that we need to open our eyes to that are not so great. 
as reminders for ways that we can heal and ways that we can make things better and ways that we can be open to that kind of change. So I thought this was a very interesting um, uh, connector piece to bring at the end of this, and I'll I'll hear what Alan has to say, and then we can move on. Right. The the citation that you gave about tzitzit, yeah. oh, and which is the third paragraph of the Shema, yeah. didn't include the final verse of the Shema, yeah. which specifically deals with Yitziat Mitzrayim. It says, Ani Hashem Alechem Eshoteh And that's why that this paragraph, uh, rabbinically, yeah. is viewed as this is this is to remind us of Yitzhak Mitzvah each and every day, which is why we say it in the morning and at night. Right. I've just never heard that seat seats specifically, like the fringes were connected to Yitzhak Mitzvah as a reminder. Yeah. I, I obviously know that the, that the yeah, paragraph yeah. Well, itself has Yitzhak Mitzvah right. in it. No, and, 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 but, but the idea of the of the reminder, I think, in general, in in and enabling us to have a visual reminder, which some of us need and some of us don't need. But if you are a visual learner, a visual person, having some kind of reminder that even if you're not going to say, oh, right, these seat seats, what are the 613 beats about again, right? You have this idea of somehow being connected to a lifestyle of mitzvot, of which remembering the fact that we were once slaves and that we were then redeemed should be a mindset for us to be able to, to walk in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm thinking more about the actual third paragraph itself and what it means <laughs> rather than just tzitzi, because everyone thinks that tzitzi, that that whole paragraph, the primary focus of it is tzitzit, but in the rabbinic mind, no, the primary purpose of the paragraph is Yitzhak Yitzhak. Yeah, uh, I was just, this is going to take us too far afield, but every time that the Torah or the Tanakh talks about something sexual explicitly, mm -hmm. relatively explicitly, mm -hmm. desire, share, sharing, anything, mm -hmm. the rabbis always make it about something else. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And on that note, you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.